I think that in our day and age, it's essential for people to get out in the woods. And that's kind of my biggest joy from it is just getting out away from technology and slowing my pace of life down. Um, and, f- and mushrooms like kind of force you to do that, especially when you're trying to find specific ones, you know. Yeah, I encourage people to get out. I am open to all ideas, fungi, art, um, you know, anything really. And so anybody interested in fungi shouldn't be afraid to delve into it. Fungi are continuing to be a huge part of our lives. Hi, everyone. This is episode 25 of the Get In My Garden podcast, and this is your host, Aaron Moskowitz. This episode is a chat with radical mycologist Dylan Martin about mycology, mushroom tech, and the frontier of mycology. It has been a while since the last episode, as I have been consumed by my work at the farmer's markets, planning my new soil health business, and researching desperately needed new sound equipment for this podcast. The focus has always been to feature local experts, hobbyists, and successful small business creators who work with the earth in unique ways. Next year, podcast content and interviews will focus on organic gardens and gardening, sustainable high-impact small farming, permaculture, the soil food web, landscaping, plant collecting, farmer's market businesses, and so much more. Great things are planned for this podcast. Going forward, it will have tighter and shorter episodes and occasionally feature short crossover videos on YouTube and Facebook with content to support the episodes. With new microphone equipment and better editing, this podcast will continue at the end of the year. Please subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you will know when the new episodes are up and so you can listen to it in its new format. Also, the private Facebook group I founded six months ago called Soil Balance with microbes, minerals, fungi, fertilizers, and inoculants has grown to over 3,000 people already. So as I mentioned earlier, I am working on a website to sell all the components of soil building, including microbes and fungi, the things that do tremendous things for people who are seeking soil holes in their gardens and those interested in the soil food web. I envision this somehow being connected to the podcast, so I'll find experts who can speak about soil throughout the year. I hope to use Facebook stories within the group when the subject matter fits, and to use social media more strategically with all these projects to make them better and give you listeners more of the content that you really want. Now, on today's episode, we chat with radical mycologist Dylan Martin, who is part of a fast-growing movement of people from basically every walk of life who are passionately involved in learning from the enormously diverse fungus kingdom, working with them and spreading the movement. We casually chat about mycelium, the fungal world, fungal studies, aka the neglected megascience, and what you need to know about it all. There are so many great ideas right now in business and technology using fungi to address our most critical problems, ecological, human health, economic, and so many more. Hope you enjoyed this episode. The chat was really fun with Dylan, and it was totally interesting. Let me remind you that this will be the last episode with the old single mic that you're hearing right now, and the new equipment will be fixing most of the sound quality issues going forward. Dylan will be back for more Mushroom Talk later in the year. Enjoy. My name is Dylan Martin. I am from Minnesota, but now live in Santa Fe. have been interested in mycology for a long time. Have you heard about that book, uh, Radical Mycology? Well, I used it for a long time as a kind of an intro guide to cultivation. Primarily, I was a forager. So Radical Mycology was a great intro and a great way to figure out how to work with fungi. Just the philosophy behind mycology and just that, yeah, that book is really uh, extensive. And, and no kidding. And gets people inspired and it got me inspired. And, yeah, people so, are always doing good work. 
have you ever, so foraging, I mean, there's like a million questions for people who don't know about mushrooms. I'm sure there's a million questions that they have. You know, a lot of mushrooms look exactly the same to an untrained eye, right? And people can go out and forage for them and come out with a mushroom that's going to kill them. Right. Is that kind of the case for most mushrooms? As far as, like, being hard to identify? Yeah. I think it's having multiple field guides and going out there knowing that no matter what you pick, it may not be what you think it is until you get back. Or, you know, if you're, I mean, number one rule, I guess, from foraging is if you're in doubt, throw it out. I mean, that's, okay. that was the, that's the number one rule. So, yeah, it is hard, though. Like, it was hard when I started and still is. And so, like, identifying takes a long time. And so usually when I go up or go out, I don't usually bring back this many you know, specimens, but I'll probably try like one new specimen at a time and maybe a couple different that look similar. And then... So you're identifying them first, but are these mushrooms that you're planning to eat or use? Um, well, I know, I know mushrooms that I want to eat. Those oh, are the okay. first ones I identify. Oh, okay. Right? You know, so like porcinis, the Boletus edulis, um, which is kind of come and gone already in the Sangres, but it's moved up to the Pecos wilderness and those are super delicious. And I was and amazed. These, these are porcini, right? Yeah. And okay. so that one's a little far gone, but, um, I was amazed at finding, well, I had never had porcinis before I came here, and I guess uh, the Santa Fe Mountains is like one of the only places, plus the Italy Mountains, where these grow. Amazing. And so it's a, you know, Italian delicacy. So yeah, I always look for, you know, what things that I want to eat, of course, and I have like a separate basket for stuff that I'm going to eat, and then a separate basket, a smaller basket for stuff that I don't know what it is, and then bring it back and take a spore print, and... And just look at the features of it and just try to and smell it and figure out, you know, try to figure out what it is. And so how does that work when you take a spore print? Um, so you can see on this, so this is why I have the white and black piece of paper. Uh-huh. Um, this one, because it had black gills already, I kind of assumed that it would oh. have a darker spore print. And then a lot of the, you know, basically the field guides tell you like, you know, rusty brown spore print or gray to dull brown or something like that. I mean, that's a key feature. It's kind of like a fingerprint. I have white printed paper and then black instruction paper. And so wow. white and black is usually what I do. And if I don't know what it is, I usually put it on half and half. Uh-huh. So half of, the, half of it on black and half of it on white. You can usually figure it out after that. Cool. Yeah. So how does that work? I know that, I mean, all mushrooms are not the same. They have different unique features on how they spread out their spores, right? Mm-hmm. It may have been a Paul Stamets lecture or something like that, but uh, a student did a experiment where they basically put up a big sticky trap on the coast somewhere, and whatever landed on it, they isolated it and figured out that. And I think it was you know in America that they did one of the American coasts, and they found spores from Africa. You know, so it's like they travel the world. Wow. And you know, and some people think they can travel throughout space and be viable, and you know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they came from space. Who knows? I don't know. I like that idea. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but they're one of the main features of soil that spreads nutrition, right? Like the way that they of, capture phosphorus and travel across the forest. Yeah, I like the mycorrhizal fungi. Um, they do a great job at building forests, which I think is listening to some of the previous podcasts. It's kind of the idea of permaculture to me has kind of summed up to be building a forest mm-hmm. and. and working with it in harmony and um, trying to be as, as fungal as possible, I think, at the same time. It seems like that's just a recent thing. I mean, there were always people studying fungus, right? Fung- you yeah. say fungi. Is it okay to say fungi? I think, yeah, I've heard, like, lectures that say fungi. I've, you know, uh, Peter McCoy was the first person I 
heard say fungi. I liked fungi. Um, fungi, I mean, I don't think it really matters. Okay. Um, I think people all kind of understand what you're talking about. But yeah, it's it's super expansive, and I feel like there are more more and more fungus sapiens, if you will, coming about, especially with this podcast, the gardening and the farming um, and the permaculture, and just like getting back to the earth. Everyone's kind of realizing how integral fungi is to our health and our soil health, and just our planet in general. And so we kind of you know people are figuring out we need to pay homage to to something that has kind of created the. For the world that we live in, yeah, and and even Stamets, you know, thinks we descended from fungi and that we are in part fungus sapiens. That's really cool. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's my biggest thing, and I'm excited when people are, get excited about it because it's not often that you get people that are, that are really excited about fungi. I think that's the it's the beginning of a humongous wave. Yeah, literally anybody who um, was interested in anything. You know, anything like composting, something simple composting, related to gardening, they're going to be obsessed with fungi. Aquaponics, yeah. Absolutely. Permaculture, soil building, anything like and that. And I think it's in the next 10 years, and I'm hoping to be a part of this, where there will be all sorts of different ways that people can use them as, I mean, not necessarily as products, but services necessarily. Like someone could come into your house and get rid of all the mold by inoculating fungus mm-hmm. or fungi into the air, you know. Or if you have a yard that was contaminated with Roundup or pesticides. Uh, yeah, there's a crazy amount of. I mean, it's a essentially. Well, I wouldn't say it's an untapped market. The commercial mushroom growing market is a billion dollar industry. But the definitely the remediation people are super interested in that. That excites people. Um, the recent developments with Paul Stamets and his bee research. Basically, he he did the biggest beehive research ever. It was like over 500 hives and was feeding these bees mycelial extracts and so that you know and i think one of the more recent updates was you know amadou mushroom and reishi mushroom extracts in the sugar syrup basically that they get fed um, is increasing their longevity it's you know it's basically helping the immunity here at the community college nobody you know i would get up in front of sga and we have meetings this and that and uh, we, you know we had pizza today and you know they were agaricus brunescens the you know the classic white bush button mushroom and and just kind of explaining things. And nobody, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But, like, once you mentioned that they're helping the bees, everyone was like, wow, you know, round of applause, <laughs> you know. So uh, you just got to find – and fungi kind of reach in every part of our everything. You just got to find what people – you know, what makes people tick or what turns people on to it. Pretty much any – I would say almost every aspect of our lives has some sort of fungus happening. Or, Absolutely. You know, there's some sort of relationship that most people don't really realize. But once you mention it, they're like, oh, wow, nice. Definitely. The, the way that I've found people to be most interested, people who don't know anything about it, to get them interested is to talk about the way that it stores carbon. Because some yeah. people are just obsessed with global warming, right? Yeah. Or climate change. So the fact that, you know, a plant could put down roots 30 feet and then make a relationship with fungi and then store carbon for 30 years. I don't really know the exact numbers, but I've heard those numbers. Yeah. So that could be a game changer. But also the idea that we have all these islands of plastic you know and it's one of the things that can eat plastic yeah that was yeah so both of those things the carbon sequestering um people that are interested in that obviously will run into fungus i actually ran into somebody in las vegas new mexico well they're from las vegas and uh, a psychology uh, major and she got a hold of me through multiple different connections but basically was applying for this foundation, this Einstein scholarship, where you change your career path and 
try to solve a world problem. And so she was talking about those guy rays or the giant, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're pronounced, but the plastic islands, basically. Yeah. And so we started working on that here at the community college. And so we took like four or five different kinds of plastic, polystyrene, high density polyethylene, uh, low density polyethylene, and just basically went to the cafeteria and got some stuff, which ultimately has plastic around mm-hmm. it. And we made Petri dishes. I had Petri dishes made already when, when she came. We did basically inoculations of Pleurotus pulmonarius, which is uh, Phoenix oyster. Mm-hmm. And all of the jars are uncontaminated and eating the plastic. And, or at least that's what it looks like. The mycelium has kind of covered it and it seems to be somewhat degrading it. And so next steps would be trying to make that bigger. And I think the whole idea was trying to have like a plastic compost, a home plastic compost system where basically you throw your your plastic to your fungi, especially all the stuff that you can't recycle, like the plastic bags that you get from the co-op or from wherever, you know, mostly grocery stores or whatever. That's the stuff that you can't really, that gunks up recycling uh, you know, companies and stuff like that. So being able to figure out what to do with that, That's hopefully, brilliant. hopefully it would be good if that, you know, that would be nice. And there are so many varieties. I mean, what is it? Like, we don't even know how many millions, right? Um, yeah, last time I checked, I guess, or, you know, there's diff- there's a whole bunch of different numbers, but I think it's like, you know, over 5 million species, mm-hmm. probably less than 10% of those have actually been identified. So right. that's, I think that's what excites me the most is just like going out and finding things and identifying them. Just realizing that there's just so much out there and the biodiversity is out of control wherever you go. And yeah. It's a good idea if you're if you're going to be foraging to have multiple field guides because they'll say different things colors of the lemuria species vary so much it's like you know pale like this one to orange and so you don't and they look exactly the same but it's like i don't know but usually if there's any wind of anything that is not great for your digestive system i don't need it Uh Um, so the lemuria species has been likened to be a laxative or at least some species have so i don't try it (laughs) that makes sense Um, well in the chinese court you know they were the first i heard to cultivate a lot of mushrooms right yeah, well, yeah, China is, yeah, I mean, they thousands of like years ago. percent of the mushrooms in the oh, world or something currently, like that. yeah. Something crazy. Well, back in the um, day, I'm sure that they, they weren't worried about it. They would just give it to a taster. Right. Like, good luck, buddy. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Somebody with the strongest, strongest stomach. What happens, here's a question, because if it's eating a plastic, like you've got your mushrooms, let's say we figure out mushrooms that will eat plastic more quickly than others, and we use them then what is left? I mean, we don't know what's left necessarily, right? Yeah, I guess that's the biggest thing too. Like getting into mycology, I realize how essential it is for me to have a kind of an education in biology and mm-hmm. uh, like lab procedure and things exactly. um, so that you can test and know. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the community college now. I kind of rerouted my whole education towards biology. And so, yeah, you, I don't, you know, I can't really know. And that's the great thing about being out in the field for me is because I, I know what's real by finding them and I them with stuff like the experiments with plastic and uh, experiments with putting a bunch of uh, mycelia in the ground and hoping that it harbors a bunch of hard metals I don't, I don't know how to I don't know how to do that um, right. so you just hope that there's a lab that's willing to test it for you or somebody that's willing to have that knowledge on a, on a low-tech scale the radical mycology book does go into that a little bit which is exciting I didn't get super into it because it's more at a basic level with a lot of people of just understanding what a mushroom is and what mycelia is and all that kind of stuff, but it does take some lab work. Yeah. Uh, so I hope to get more into that. Mushrooms, that's the most familiar to most people, but what about other types of 
spores. Yeah, so mycology is all over the well. Yeah, so lichens and yeasts and, and molds and rusts and smuts. Um, mm-hmm. Those are all fungi, and right. that's all part of mycology. The lichen scene out here is huge. Uh, you know, there's so many different colors and uh, patterns of lichens out here, which is really great, uh, especially in the, in the sunset light. And when I was at Hennepin Tech in Brooklyn Park, I was doing the gardening or the horticulture program. You realize that 80 to 90 percent of all the tree diseases are fungal. And so different molds and different rusts and stuff like that are just a huge detriment to, to horticulturalists and arborists and regular gardeners. Uh, pottery mildew is a big deal. It's hard to narrow my focus when it's so much information and so much that we don't know. Yeah, it seems like it's the one field. And I think that's how he started the book, Radical Mycology. Mm-hmm. He talks about the fact that there was a period where people were studying mushrooms, but they really didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have enough depth. And then finally, it was just neglected mm-hmm. and left behind. Yeah, the neglected mega science. That was a good term for it because um, it's true we don't really learn about it the only reason that i learned about it was through my family and the fact that we were in minnesota and it was you know the morels were prevalent every spring and my grandparents were hip to the idea of going out and finding them and that was kind of my intro so you're studying the more scientific side of it are you gonna go into business in some way do you think mostly i want to act as mycelium and just network with people uh, mm-hmm. around the idea of mycology and People have great ideas um, all the time with mycology, and I feel like, yeah, mycology is, is like a great thing, kind of like aquaponics is a great thing, but I don't think it is necessarily the solution every time, but I think it's part of it, yeah. uh, a big part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I am, you know, I am right now, I was lucky enough to meet up with someone who um, had been growing mycelia in town and growing it on organic substrates, and so basically making a fungal food product. And, and feeding people, um, specifically with medicinal or so-called medicinal Like lion's varieties. mane? Right, right. So okay. the, yeah, the species that people um, hear about with anti-carcinogens. And so um, hooked up with him, and now we're building uh, a new lab, a mycology lab out here. And so we don't have any commercial presence yet or anything like that, but um, I've learned a lot about lab design and uh, the materials we need to use and just the amount of money it costs to build a lab and mm-hmm. uh, the amount of resources it takes to get a clean room. And yeah, and so that's been really exciting. And so hopefully, I don't know when it'll happen, but hopefully, you know, I'll be around for a little while. Hopefully that'll transpire into a, into a, a business. Yeah, That's great. So there are a lot of different mushrooms that people eat for their mind, right? Mm-hmm. Or their memory or their health. Can right. you talk about those for a sec? When people hear medicinal mushrooms, they probably think of like the big name, you know, Rishi, um, which has been used for a long time, lion's mane, um, turkey tail. Um, I would say turkey tail is a good a good one to research because it's the it's the most researched out of the medicinal mushrooms as far as an- anti cancer properties. The more research I do, you're just finding that most fungi have these constituents in them that help our immunity, mm-hmm. and so that's super exciting to me, um, especially when people want to grow. A fungal food product for not only vegan, non-GMO, uh, you know, low-fat, high-protein source of food, but you're also getting all of these other things like beta-glucans and uh, linoleic acids, which you find in dairy and meat, that are basically immunomodulators for our body and uh, help lower cholesterol, which is a huge problem in America. And so that's why I'm taking a nutrition class this semester is to figure out more about how these mushrooms are affecting our body. Paul Stamets has a whole bunch of uh, self-funded research out there that kind of proves that 
uh, I mean, especially with the, the case of his, I think it was his mother that had cancer. I and mean, just bouncing back after taking all that turkey tail, it's just like, okay, you can't, wow. really, you can't That's really say that that didn't have a part to do with it. I mean, of course, they were taking, you know, traditional medicine. That's very interesting. It is, it, it's encouraging, I think. Yeah. And so... And, and that's not, I mean, and especially now with the new book by Michael Pollan, that is opening a whole new range of people to the idea of psychedelic mushrooms and, mm-hmm. and treatment of depression, uh, right? addiction and uh, depression. Okay. And, yeah, and just giving, a pe- giving people kind of the white coat authority on uh, uh, something that has been demonized by the culture has far, you know, kind of been pushed back and is also just illegal. <laughs> right. And it's been used for thousands of years. Right. So, that too. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about all of that. There's a lot of different viewpoints around the psychedelics, but more or less I'm, I'm interested in all, all fungus. So, well, do you know anything about anybody who is specifically fighting pests with fungus? Because I know a lot of people have seen those really cool videos where an ant gets infected and then it, it's like a zombie and it climbs to the top of the tree and then it's you know, right at the top of the tree, mm-hmm. a mushroom pops out of its head and it's dead, and then right, yeah, so spores the, are released to the, the forest. Yeah, the entomopathogenic fungi. Yeah, I think that people are seeing that that's going to be something that we're going to use versus just chemical pesticides. I'm pretty sure that. I mean, it's just like it's just like a whole ton of information out there that I try to regurgitate to people. As far as me knowing somebody personally that's doing that, no. Mycosymbiotics is growing cordyceps without insects, which I think is pretty amazing. And cordyceps have a lot of really serious energy properties. If you and so in nature, these kinds of fungi basically infiltrate an insect body, and then, like you said, and and that's part of their life cycle. Mm-hmm. But mycosymbiotics, I think William Padilla is his name. He basically came up with a recipe that doesn't involve an insect at all. Wow. Um, so it's just you know in and so that's pretty promising as well, being able to produce, you know, and who, and I don't know that, you know, again, it would be, not, it would be interesting to see what the lab results are versus, you know, something um, harvested in Tibet versus right. something harvested from his lab, you know, and see if there is a big difference in the benefits that people seek out with, with the cordyceps in particular. I took cordyceps while I was running about five years ago, and it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah, athletes are all about it, I guess, yeah. which I didn't realize, but, uh, yeah. And that was just very weird to think of them growing it inside of caterpillars or whatever. Yeah, and there are people in Thailand doing that where they're injecting the, you know, specific larval stage of, of these uh, moths and, and doing it that way, which uh-huh. I think is probably more akin to its actual life cycle in nature, because it seems like in all of these different disciplines, we're just trying to mimic nature, which is a good thing. I mean, the only other story is the Stamus thing where he, he sets out a trap for carpenter ants and sees tremendous results as far and he patented, I think he patented a mycopesticide for that. So amazing. Hopefully see those on the market at some point. I hope he gets rewarded for all this research because sometimes oh, yeah. things show up way too soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's smart in patenting it. You come up with something that's so detrimental to big corporate entities, you have to have legality on your side, I guess. So true. Looking at this tray of mushrooms, I have another question. So some people who deal with just flowers will say, oh yeah, you know, they personify them and they come to life. Do you think that mushrooms come to life in a specific way to you? Walking through the forest, the vibration of the earth maybe is more available to people. But when you touch mushrooms or you're in their presence, and now that I'm looking at them here, I'm like, wow, they do seem 
kind of the life force of them. They have a life. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And I would, I would, I mean, I liken them to humans a lot, really, just like the myriad of expressions that you get from fungi are incredible. And I think humans can get a great perspective on body types and gender expressions and mm-hmm. um, colors and shapes and so, you know, all those things um, have just an amazing perspective on what is out there and what, what we are, you know, too. And so um, I do think that we are very fungally dominated as humans. And so, yeah, I think that the, it's, you just got to get out in the woods. It's a, it's a really, it's a enjoy it. Um, especially when they first, when mushrooms first pop, you can definitely, you can smell them and you can, you can feel the energy in the forest. And so, and they are kind of the energy of the forest. That kind of mycelial archetype is seen all over the place. I mean, even in the the branches of trees, you know, so, and in our, our neural networks, it's, it's all, it's all connected. And I think that's the great thing about fungi in general. It just, it shows how interconnected we all are. I think it's, it's the perfect metaphor for everything that we're doing. Yeah. You know, I like that they're so hidden all the time and then, you know, completely underground and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of fruitings and it's like, wow, what is this? What are the, what are these connected to? You know, it's amazing. It's especially with the mycorrhizal fungi, that's a huge thing for gardeners and just ecologists in general i think that's the next wave literally of food production and water preservation yeah well you know the avatar movie alluded to a little bit sigourney weaver was like oh yeah these trees are communicating with each other somehow and it's like duh (laughs) fungi (laughs) yep Maybe uh, that's how we'll, I mean, they're really pushing us to go to Mars, right? And I'm thinking to myself, right. why are we really going to Mars? It's only because we want to stop having war. Well, nobody wants to stay on shitty old Earth. Well, maybe, but I also <laughs> think maybe it has more to do with the fact that we're in a military industrial complex. So, yeah. the, you know, our technology is based solely on killing each other and like yeah. um, getting more advanced in that way through war and competition. So maybe the idea of going to a planet that's what, like 53 million I don't even remember. It's a long ways away. So far away. People go to Mars. I'm staying here. Yeah, I'm staying here too. (laughs) I mean, and just partnering with fungi, really. I mean, that's the way to survive, I think. Well, they'll probably end up fixing our world, right? And then they'll probably, if we do end up going to Mars, then that's probably going to be one of the first things that they use to terraform it. Do we know, are there certain fungi that are really fast growing that we can like form shapes out of that are very, very sturdy. Yeah. So the mycomaterials, I'm trying to think of what the species they're using. I want to say that they're just using like oyster or something, but I'm not okay. sure. There is a company using, I'm pretty sure, Mishi mushrooms because they're so, the like fruit bodies are so tough to make leather. Oh, yes. And I so saw that's that. pretty cool. And then Ecovative, that's a big company that's using mycelia to make forms and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's tough to, I mean, I'm sure that there are people that have strains that are just out of control. Like I have a turkey tail strain that's just like so fast, I just can't keep up with it. I'll inoculate a bunch of jars of grain and be like, okay, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a while, I'll take a trip. And then I come back and they're all like exploding or like the plates are all exploding. And so, amazing. yeah, it can actually move very fast. And so, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see as, as people discover new species too, it'll be interesting to see what comes out for the mycomaterials and stuff like that. Wow. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I hope that more people locally will be involved. Yeah. There's yeah, me too. Something great here. New Mexico. It's just, it's like the Wild West, you yeah. know? And now we have, the forests are really special here because we have basically the same forests as they have in Colorado, but not all the people. Your state probably has a mycological society. That is a great resource for humans that want to get involved with 
foraging or just in general fungi. I'm going on a foray this weekend with the New Mexico Mycological Society near the Red River. And so basically a group foray is just a bunch of people going out and finding a bunch of mushrooms. And then they have uh, two or three PhDs that come and help identify them. If your state has a mycological society, definitely get in touch with them because it's a lot of weird and, and cool people. That... Yeah, I, I feel like it's a perfect place for geeks to accumulate. Oh, yeah, just geek out on fungi, yeah. And it's essential for people to know what is poisonous as well. Like, that's a big reason why I like to identify things. Just knowing what not to eat or at least knowing what it'll do to me if I do eat it. Probably 80% of the mushrooms I find are going to be upsetting to my stomach. Unfortunately, yes. uh-huh. you know, it's like they'll give you bubble gut or whatever. And like the ones that are really prized, you don't, you know, unless you're at right place, right time and you find a bunch of them or something. This tray that I brought in, I, I would say 80% of them are not great for your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a couple of them will kill you or? or uh, I... Well, the Amanita muscaria um, is definitely toxic and people have died from that one. That's basically the Super Mario Brothers That's mushroom, right? That's the classic, right? yeah, classic red red mushroom with white white spots on it so yeah fly garrick or however you want to call it but um, and are these portobellos or are they all porcini these all three are actually all different um this oh. is i only have one porcini so this is Boletus edulis okay um this is a lexenum uh species uh, i've also seen it called a manzanita bolete the lexenum species have had different cases of hospitalization for <laughs> eating too much of it and your stomach not loving it and i see i was trying to identify this one last night but i couldn't find it in the field guides mostly just because of this like cobwebby stuff that's on it and i didn't really know what it was and so, so when you see something like that you consider it part of the mushroom Oh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. that's definitely a key ID thing. And also just, yeah, it's part of its makeup. Gotcha. You know, it's part of its expression. And so the other red mushroom, Rusula minica, is also called sickener. <laughs> so, you know, that's not great. Wow. <laughs> Hawkswing, that's edible. It smells really weird when you cook it. It kind of smells like rubber. Uh-huh. Um, I tried it for the first time two days ago and wasn't a fan sauteing it. But I boiled it and marinated it, and it's doing a lot better uh, huh. as far as the palate goes. These little puff balls are edible. They're gemstated really? puff balls, as long as they're nice and white on the inside anyways. And I heard that so, yeah, one of... a little old, so those are forming, yeah. Okay, and one of the ways that you you have to sometimes cut them in half to identify them, is that right? Uh, yeah, it's probably wise to... Well, I, I mean, definitely with the puff balls, it's good to cut them open because I think there's like a, there's a pigskin puff ball that's like purple on the inside, and that's for sure poisonous. That's what I found uh, at the mushroom identification page on Facebook. People yeah. said, "Yeah, you know, this you really must cut it in half for us over the internet to tell you what it is." Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good resource too. Like the Facebook groups, uh, mushroom growing uh, Facebook group is a good one, and then just mushroom uh, identification. I've done a lot of that out here. I had a really weird fungus show up in my mulch earlier this spring um it was just like this super long stock and just like this brown ball of dust on top and i was like what is this and so i just took pictures of it and pulled it out of the ground and the stock ended up being like 13 inches long and um it was a it was batteria phalloides which is a desert stocked puffball which i thought was pretty cool not didn't look appetizing and i don't think it's edible but I was able to put that on there and say where it was and what it was coming out of and kind of all the ID aspects that you need and people are more than willing to give their opinion about what it is. And it's usually right. That's so cool. Um, I kind of cross-reference with mushroomexpert.com. That's a good one. Oh, 
Yeah. Would someone like you who has their hands on the mushrooms and is going around the forest and then comes back to your own garden and your own compost pile, are you inoculating it? Is that how? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean those I've spores been, I've literally. I've carrying around this tray of mushrooms all day. I'm definitely inoculating this whole office with spores. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm not too worried about it. I, I think that when I am out in the field and I don't know what it is or I know for sure it's poisonous, I usually have gloves with me or spray alcohol. That's usually a good move just because I'm constantly messing with my face out there. So I don't want to, like, ingest anything that I don't want to. So that's how sensitive we are to them, right? If, if you I don't go... know. I mean, some people could be that sensitive. I don't know if I'm that sensitive. I'm just more on the side of caution, with, especially with, like, the muscaria. Like, I've never eaten that or anything, but I, in, and I, you know, I don't know how, if the abutanic acid or the muscamol is, like, on the outside or on the inside. I, you know, I don't know those things. So if I touch it, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to have a glove on. And, or if I touch it with my bare hands, I'll just spray it off with some isopropyl afterwards just because... I'm going to be finding some edible species and I don't want to have that. That makes sense. You know, I wash them and everything like that too, but I just stay on the side of caution, I guess. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered about mold. I'm from Seattle, also like Mushroom Central over there. Obviously, Paul Stamets is in Washington. Yeah, Yeah. thinking about going up there a little bit. The mold is everywhere. I mean, people constantly are plagued with mold in their houses, Mm -hmm. not in new houses, but most houses aren't. here where it's really dry, I mean, the storm that we had two weeks ago or three weeks ago i guess it was my my co-worker his place got flooded they had carpet for sure black mold was coming in there after that and so and they were very sensitive to black mold too so um, it's a problem everywhere and Mm -hmm. it's an opportunistic mold that affects people really negatively and gets people sick i think some people might be immune to it yeah, I think that I might too. be one of those people. That too. But, or yeah, or like, yeah, it just doesn't affect you that much. But are there other fungi that you bring in that can remediate that? Like the spores can go out and then fix some old problem, right? I'm sure that that's a possibility. Um, I guess I don't know the specific species that would combat uh, black mold necessarily. I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's that kind of brings me back to the idea that, well, once you eat the plastic then what's left, right? Maybe you're still, or what? once you eat the toxic buildup of, you know, bad right. agriculture, then what's left? Do you still well, have that? Well, it's like you get those really highly concentrated mushrooms, you know? It's like, so with the, with the remediating the, the oil spills and stuff like that, the mushrooms then have a lot of that oil in them. So, right. but then they, you know, but they break it down to a, to something that can be, kind of digest it further, decompose further, and not be so linked up as, as it was in the oil form, you know. So I think it, it's got, you have to be able to test it and see and like be like, okay, these chains of molecules were a detriment to the ecosystem, and now they aren't as much. I hope that continues. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot I don't know, and I think that's a great thing about fungi is that it's just like super The field is wide open. <laughs> really like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know anything, and I probably won't for a really long time. I think um, that's true about everybody, though. Like, even, like, the most advanced participants, like Paul Stamets. Yeah. He's learning so much, but yeah. he still doesn't Just know everything. Yeah, humble city all day long. You can reach me at dylanponix at gmail.com, so D-Y-L-A-N-P-O-N-I-C-S. And that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I also run the Santa Fe Community College facebook page the mycology club facebook page so that's facebook.com slash sfcc mycophiles and i hope that continues on through this next semester but yeah just come to the community college i'll be hanging out here tuesdays and thursdays at least so 
Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you will know when the new episodes are up and so you can listen to it in its new format.